In the Lord Jesus Christ, we have new relationships in our fellowship with God. You know, in Christ, we now can and should love because we're a different people living in a different kingdom. Today, as we continue in the book of 1 John, we're going to continue looking at the doctrine of salvation. And specifically, we're going to be looking at sanctification. Because, our because of our salvation, we not only have forgiveness of sins, but we also can live different kinds of lives. And that's what John has been teaching us. There are three aspects of our salvation. There is a justification aspect of our salvation. There is a sanctification aspect of our salvation. And there's a glorification aspect of our salvation. Justification addresses the guilt of our sin. Sanctification addresses the dominion and the corruption of sin in our lives. Justification is God declaring the sinner righteous. Sanctification is God renewing and transforming our whole person, our mind, our will, our affections, our behaviors. Justification is a complete and finished act. Justification means every believer is completely and finally freed from the condemnation and the wrath of God. Sanctification is an ongoing, progressive work in our lives. Although every believer is brought out once and for all out of bondage to sin, we're not immediately made perfect. And sometimes we get confused. In fact, we, we wonder, am I really saved because I still struggle with sin? And what John is presenting to us is what salvation really looks like. We've looked at justification for the last several weeks, and now as we're into chapter 2, we're looking at sanctification. And that word's a big word, but it's a really important word for you guys to learn. It's an important word for you to grab hold of and not be afraid of having a big word because those big words have really important meaning to us. Justification deals with my relationship with God. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin. When we say we doubt our salvation, this deals also with the aspect of assurance of salvation. Because our salvation is rooted in Jesus Christ. It's not rooted in our own works. If we say, well, I could never be good enough to say for certain that I know I'm on my way to heaven, what we're really saying is the blood of Jesus Christ is not sufficient. What we've really said is Jesus Christ is not enough. And you say, well, I would never mean to say that. That's the reason why we're talking about it. Because as we get these foundational principles locked into our minds, as we learn these doctrines, and doctrine is often a word that's kind of a stuffy word. It's a word that's not warm and fuzzy, and it's a word that sometimes we're afraid to use. But literally, it's the foundation so that we can enjoy all that God's given to us. When we really understand our salvation is in Christ alone, 
Now we're comfortable and we're free to live our Christian life. And that's what we're going to find in chapter 2 here. Sanctification is the process by which my relationship towards sin is changing. Sanctification is the, is the process by which your relationship with, with sin is progressively changing. Sanctification addresses how I live now. It's progressive because it doesn't happen instantaneously. It's a partnership. You see, I get to choose each day. Though I am saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, I don't always live looking like a saved person. Why is that? Because I still have a sin nature within me. I still live in a sinful body. And if you don't understand that, you're going to get caught off guard every day. You see, some of the temptations that I go through are not external temptations. They're internal temptations. Sometimes the reason why I struggle in my own sinfulness is because I have totally forgotten that I live in a sinful body and that every day it's not when I step outside my house that the attacks come, but it's literally I'm living in the battlefield every day. And sanctification talks about how that can be changing. You don't have to stay the way you are. Glorification is my relationship to this sinful body, a, fi a finished transformation into the likeness of Christ at his turn, at his return, will totally finish this pro process by which now I no longer have this sin nature anymore. Oh, that's going to be a great day. But right now, I am enjoying justification, being right with God, and sanctification, the process by which I am now changing in my relationship to a sinful sin nature. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ alone, there are some facts you need to know if you're going to understand your new life. John tells us that saved people and unsaved people are going to be different. They think differently from each other. Saved and unsaved will have different goals and will place importance on different things. In chapter 5, verse 19, we read, And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. If we could put that maybe in a little more common language, we would say, Ye are of God, and the world's system is under the control of Satan. What is that setting up for us? It's telling you, if you've received Christ as your Savior... You are living under a different system than the world's system. Lord willing, we will come to 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, which is going to talk about the world's system in a couple weeks. The simple truth that there is God's system and Satan's system affects everything in life. Not everyone is working toward the same goal. Not everyone thinks the same. Not everyone agrees with the same values. And that's important because the world sees the problems just as we see the problems. The difference is how do they address those problems? They're frustrated with what's happening around us, but they don't know how to fix that because they don't understand that Satan, 
fact, Jesus made the statement. Jesus said, ye, of your, ye are of your father, the devil, and his works you will do. What do we know that Satan is like? He was a murderer from the beginning. He was deceitful from the beginning. So what would we assume Satan's kingdom is going to encourage and be like? It is going to hate people. It is going to murder people. And it's going to be deceitful. You won't hear the truth. God's kingdom is based on God's character. What is God's character like? God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. So if we are in God's kingdom, we now are going to be walking in the light like he is in the light. That means if God doesn't do wrong, God would never lie. So God's people would want to imitate what their king is like. Do I ever lie? I do. Should I lie? Well, no, no one should lie. It hurts them. It hurts society. But no longer is lying my de facto, my, my automatic default. Now, telling the truth is what I want to do. Telling the truth is my desire, even though I fail sometimes. Remember, as we began chapter 2, verse 1, my little children, these things write unto you that ye sin not. You see, when you're in God's kingdom, no longer do you want to sin, though you still do sin, but now there's been this change. What's the change? Now it's the desire that has changed. Every person was made to have fellowship with God. We were made to bring praise to God. Colossians chapter 1 tells us that we were made by Jesus and for Jesus. So this morning now we're going to come back to our new relationships based on our fellowship with God. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you today that we have the privilege of coming before you, of worshiping together of showing your worthship, that you are worthy of our praise. Father, we're wanting to learn to sing better. We're wanting to learn to develop this quality in our life, which is a characteristic that you have. You are musical, and you've made us musical, and we want our music to reflect what you're like. Father, I thank you for the gift of the local church that we meet together and we sing praises. Father, I'm thankful for justification this morning that we can be declared right before you. And I'm thankful for sanctification that I no longer have to be living under sin's dominion, under sin's control. Father, I pray this morning that as we look at your word, that you would speak to our hearts, that the Holy Spirit would have free reign, that today as we go out, we would understand your word better. And we pray today, Father, that if some have come searching, but have not personally placed their faith in Jesus Christ, that today they would see that it's available for them. 
and that it's a gift that they don't have to work for. Thank you. I depend on you. And I ask all this in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Sanctification is the process by which we are being changed into the image of Jesus Christ. So how are we being changed? As we've studied chapter 2 together, we no longer have to sin. It no longer has to be the way we are. Second of all, we now want to obey as we saw in verses 3 through 6. But also now I want you to notice it's changing our relationships one to another. God is light and God is love. The world likes to focus on love but doesn't realize that love can only be genuine love when it is sinless. The world sings about love and that the world needs love. But the reality is, what they want can only be found in the author of love, in Jesus Christ. Christians now can love. He says in verse 7, Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which he had from the beginning. This old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. And then it seems like doublespeak. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. So notice, we now have a love for God's commandments based on verses 1 and 2 and uh, 3 through 6. And now we're finding we also now have a love for God's people. Remember when the lawyer tried to trip Jesus up and he said, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus immediately answered, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus talks about all the laws and we feel so burdened down, do this, do that, do this, do that, what did Jesus summarize it? And what did Jesus in fact point us to the very foundation of all the laws? Love God. If we love a holy God, then all those things that he mentioned are things that we're going to say, yeah, I don't want to do those things. And then all the things on how we would treat people that are made in God's image, we want to love those people the same way. Here he says, all right, I've written a new commandment unto you. He says, something old and something new here. It's, it's not new, according to verse 7. Well, we know it was commanded in the Old Testament. If you'd go to Leviticus, he tells them to love their brother. But when he's talking about something old, something that they've heard, he's talking about what had been said 60 years earlier by our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, in the book of John, chapter 13, said, A new commandment... I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. See, now as we want to imitate what our God is like, we want to love the way God loved. Well, how did God love? God loved me before I loved him. 
And God loved me and loves me even though I'm still a sinner today, even though I still do wrong things. So how does that impact? Then we read in John 15, as the Father hath loved me, so I have loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. He's saying, what John is telling us in verse 7, he's saying, this is stuff you know about, you've heard. You have even been taught by Jesus Christ himself. But then he says, but then there's something new, verse 8. New in quality. You now have new resources. Before, I could only love if someone loved me. You do something nice for me, I like you. If we've got something that we can, that somehow you can benefit me, I like you. As soon as you can't benefit me, hmm, not so much. But now, again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you. What was true in Jesus Christ now can be true in us. Because the darkness is past and the true light is now shineth. What's he telling us? He says, you now have new resources. You're a new person. You had the commandment before. It's an old commandment that you've known about, but now you have, this, you have these new resources. Today, as, as we're looking at this text, my goal is not to pile on more pressure on you to make you somehow produce. My goal today is to tell you, as a new person in a new kingdom, you have new resources, and now you can do things that were not possible before. But we have to have a change in our mindsets, because if you don't think you have the abilities, if you don't think you have the resources, you're not going to try to use those resources. I was telling Zach as we were driving in, my brother, for his 60th birthday, was given a track pass. And this track pass was, he got to drive a Ferrari. And evidently, my, my sister-in-law is this incredible coupon person, and she found a coupon for driving a Ferrari. And so my brother, as he was telling me about it, he said, you know, he said, I really, really liked the fact, he said, when I got there, I, we had a... A, not only a track pass which let us be there, but he said we also, he said I was going to get to drive the Ferrari, but I was also going to ride with someone else who could show me the track. So they got in this large four-door Chevy. For some of you that would know it, it's an SS, but it has a Corvette motor in it. And he said the first lap, he said, was just kind of gentle. And he said, and he was telling me, there are cones you're going to see. There are going to be red cones. There's going to be yellow cones. There's going to be green cones. And he said, and this is how you drive this track. If you see a red cone, you step on the brakes as hard as you can. Not like you would in your car. He said, you stand on the brakes. He said, if you see a yellow cone, that means immediately get off the accelerator. And a green cone means aim for that green cone because that's where you need to be when you're going to come out of the turn. 
So my brother said, all right. So he rode with the guy and took a couple of his boys in the back seat with them. He said, the first one was not too bad. He said, the second lap where the guy was telling me the whole time you're going to be turning here, he said, that was really pretty fast. He said, the third lap that the guy that was showing me how to drive this track drove, he said, was incredibly fast. He said, my boys were thrown all over the place in the back. He said, then I got out of that car and we got into a $330,000 Ferrari and I was in the driver's seat. But he said, you don't drive the Ferrari by yourself. He said, now they tell you, if you put one tire in the grass, it's $500 every time. They're serious about you staying on the track. But they also said this, they said, if you will listen to what we say, they put a professional right beside you in the passenger seat. And the whole time, he said, the guy just keeps talking and talking and talking. And so he goes through the track, and he said, the guy's telling you, stay on the feet, stay on the throttle, stay on the throttle, don't let off, don't let off. And my brother said, instinctively, I'm wanting to stop. He said, we're about to go through a corner, and I'm thinking, I'm going to wreck. And the guy's going, no, 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 keep going, keep going, keep going. He said, now, stand on the brakes as hard as you can. And so he said, I just did what the guy told me to do. And he said, all of a sudden, I began realizing, he said, I'm driving laps at 140 mile an hour. <laughs> and he said, I could have never done that. He said, I would have never enjoyed the trip except for the fact I did exactly what the man told me to do. And I told Zach, I said, what an incredible illustration of the Christian life. We have Jesus Christ who shows us what life can be like and should be like. And we have the Holy Spirit who rides beside us. And we have all of these resources. And what are the resources? Look at verse 12 with me in 1 John chapter 2. He says, your sins are forgiven because of Christ. Notice the very end it says, your sins are forgiven you for, what are the next two words? His name's sake. Why are our sins forgiven? Because of him. My sins are not forgiven because of me. What an incredible resource. The pressure is now off me to try to stay saved. Now I can enjoy the track. I can enjoy the life that God has given. Look at verse 13. What is another resource? You know the eternal God which was from the beginning. Look at verse 14. And he repeats those principles for us. You see, love is now viewed from a different perspective. It's illustrated in our Lord's life by his life, by his teaching, by his death. And it's evidenced in our lives now. What did Jesus say? People will know that you're a believer by your love for one another. Why is that? Because it's not natural love. It is God's love. It is selfless love. Wow, if I could be that kind of husband all the time, that would be incredible. If I could just always love my wife, no matter what she does, no matter what she says, no matter if she meets my expectations or not, if I could love her that way, everyone would say, wow, you're different. You say, that's not possible. Well, not on my own, it's not, but with the resources I have now, I can love, and you can love. You see, our love plays a part in pushing back the curtain of darkness. 
So what's the application of this command to love? Look at verse 9. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. You see, in Christ, in God's kingdom, if we continue to hate and to be self-centered the way we've always been, if there is no desire change, he says, no, you're confused. In fact, you're fooled, you're deceived. That truth is not in you. So what is love? I thought this was fascinating because I was reading a number of articles this week trying to see how do people define love? I mean, we know 1 Corinthians chapter 13 tells us practically this is what love looks like. I thought this was interesting. This was out of Time magazine. Love should be seen not as a feeling but an action. To love is to feel and act lovingly. You know, I can tell my wife, right, yesterday was our 34th anniversary. And I can tell my wife I love her all I want, but what she really wants is something that tangibly lets her see that I love her. Now, here, we can say, love you, love you. But the reality is, it's not just what I say, it's what I do. In a popular play, the husband asked the wife whether she loves him after they've been married for a quarter of a century. And her wry response was this way. She said, for 25 years, I've washed your clothes, I've cooked your meals, I've cleaned your house, I've given you children, I've milked your cow. She asked then, if that's not love, what is it? Now, obviously, you can hire a servant, but the difference was she did this because she wanted to, not because she was paid to. You see, in verse 9, he says, there's a profession that does not look like the Heavenly Father. The characteristic attitude of hatred for people the person that says he is walking in the light but doesn't love, we need to look like our Father. The one who loves, verse 10, the term here for love is not so much emotions but a choice of the will. The way God loves, he chooses to love. It's an intelligent love. It's a choice you look at Hollywood, you look at any of the TVs, the TV programs, the movies, what do they show you? They show you it's this thing that, that has no brain attached. It's this, they just can't help themselves. The chemistry is just right and boom, they love each other. But the reality is, you know, I thought Cindy looked incredible. I thought her personality was incredible. When we were dating, I thought, I mean, my heart was just smitten. But you know, once you're married, it's more than a smitten heart. It's a choice. That's what God is teaching us from his word. What are the effects? When we're walking in the presence and the power of God, 
God removes those things that can trip us up, and we have the opportunity, the resources to do what we need to do. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. In the Kentucky River, in Kentucky, there is a river called the Echo River, which runs through uh, Mammoth Cave. And the fish living in the river have eye sockets, but have undeveloped eyes. The darkness of being in that river in the cave has caused them to have blind eyes. Persistence in hatred and sin inevitably leads to moral and spiritual darkness. But if we walk in the light, we will find our eyesight is developing because we're not only in a new kingdom, but we are new people. We're saved from hell unto eternal life, but we're also saved to where now we can be different. Our homes ought to be different. Our lives ought to be different. There was a, there was a large push in the 80s the talking about grace, but grace meaning live any way you want. And they took a truth from scripture, but they missed the point. And the point is this. If sin was so terrible that it was sending me to hell, if sin was so terrible that I couldn't get into heaven, if sin was so awful that God could not tolerate sin, if sin was so awful that it's destroying me, then why do I think it's something that I want to hang on to? I do wrong. But I have different desires now. I recognize when I do wrong, I don't want that anymore. I confess my sin to God saying, I agree, that's not what should be in my life. I don't want that in my life anymore. It's a change in our thinking and in our actions. And the evidences of that change are a change in our obedience, a change in our imitation, and a change in our love. Next week, two weeks probably, because I'll be gone next week, we will look at the warnings that he gives us about the world's system. But I want to just pause for a moment and encourage you, one, that you have the resources as a believer to love. But we need to look to Jesus. We need to see how he lived and how he responded and we need to begin making that our focus rather than what we're being bombarded with with all of our digital media. The more of the digital media we consume and the less of God's word and the meditation on what our Lord is like, we begin to think this is right. And we forget what we've been saved for. What's it like for you right now? What do you find? One, have you received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? If you would say, I know for certain I have. I know I'm trusting in Jesus Christ alone. I'm not trying to do good works. 
I know Jesus was the only way to heaven, and I've received that. I praise the Lord for that. You are justified. But don't miss out on the second part of your salvation. You can be sanctified. You can be set apart for God's use. And set apart from the awfulness of sin.